I don't know about the rest of the world, but here in the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, spring happened instantly yesterday, and we are all very much ready for it. Because, you know, two a year ago, three on March 11th, a year ago, we were planting carrots, beets, lettuce, arugula. Go figure. At any rate, happy spring and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Of course, we're going to bring you, as we always do, independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host. And uh, you can, if you're watching or listening to this program on Facebook, you are always welcome to join us. You can join the conversation by texting us at 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. We will call you back as soon as we can, as soon as we have an opening, and we will bring you into the conversation. And if you value what we do, we need your support. You can visit the Fallon Forum website, make a donation, become a monthly sponsor. If you're a small business doing good work, uh, consider becoming a business sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for breakfast, lunch, and supper seven days a week for carryout, dining, and delivery service. You can also check out Gateway's Catering and Floral Services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Solar energy is a bigger and bigger deal all the time, and we have seen tremendous advances. We've also seen tremendous pushback. Uh, there are states around the country, many of them, that are trying to make it more difficult for individuals uh, and for small businesses and for farms to engage in solar energy. Uh, my take is the biggest reason is because the uh, power structure, <laughs> literally the power structure, the big investor-owned utilities, the monopoly utilities, don't want the competition. And that is really unfortunate because it's not fair. It's contrary to our commitment in this country to supporting small businesses, to supporting innovation. And it also, obviously, is not a good deal for our environment and for our efforts to push back against climate change. Uh, with me on the phone is uh, Rob Hawk. He is the CEO of Trusted Energy. And we're going to be discussing solar energy with Rob. Welcome to the program. Ed, thank yes. you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, you're, you're, you're the CEO of Trusted Energy, and that's a, a locally owned uh, small business here in Iowa, uh, doing good work on a number of uh, renewable fronts. And I know you've been very interested in, in legislation at the uh, state level here in Iowa dealing with solar energy. And again, there are comparable efforts to improve the environment for solar usage across the country. But tell us what you know about the Iowa bill, and let's, uh, let's start there. Well, there's a number of different things that are going on, but one that's really going to impact Iowa that maybe for the worse uh, is a policy where the wind, the solar developers are going to be more or less prohibited from developing on farm ground. And they're trying to purport that this is going to be favorable and fair and when you dig into it, it's actually not going to be very fair for the landowner. It's still optional for the landowner to participate in these solar projects. There's okay. no eminent domain when putting solar panels on your property. 
Right. Yeah. But uh, the way the, the law is being written is it will prevent uh, the landowner really okay. to put solar on their so, farm. So right now, obviously, a homeowner can have uh, solar panels on, on, on their roof. Uh, I know even some larger barns, confinement operations, have solar panels. Um, you know, what this this bill, if I understand it correctly, is referring to large-scale solar developments that might, for example, power an entire rural community. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Okay. And I, I think a lot of this is stemming from the Palo nuclear power plant being decommissioned and uh, and just, now they want to just utilize so, just about, so, I think, 3,500 acres. And just so people land. people understand what that um, is, there's, there's a nuclear, yeah. was a nuclear power plant in uh, Palo, Iowa, that's near Cedar Rapids, Correct. and that is being yeah, decommissioned. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they want to utilize a lot of the infrastructure, the transmission infrastructure uh, for solar energy. I mean, for those that are uh, the green and environmental, hey, that's the best thing you can ask for to go from nuclear to solar. Right. But uh, the landowners are, or, or there's some concern that's coming forward about converting this much farm ground into energy production. Um, and it's it's still in farm production because it's taking sun and converting it to electricity as opposed to ethanol or right. uh, food grain. I mean, the photosynthesis is the same, essentially the same thing, uh, just Instead of making right, chlorophyll yeah. or energy right, from chlorophyll, right. it's making energy from yeah. photocells. So, how, how many acres are we talking about? Mm, numbers have varied. I've heard up to thirty-five hundred acres. It's a lot of land. It's a lot of land. But mm -hmm. and that would power what number of uh, homes or businesses or communities? Mm. Oh, I was not prepared for that. Question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Well. Quite well, a lot. Trying to what offset I... the uh, what the nuclear power plant was doing. Yeah. Okay. So I heard it was 750 megawatts of solar and about 250 megawatts worth of storage. And so would this be? This so, wouldn't be. This wouldn't be condemning anybody's property, would it? No. 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 Okay. So what's the objection? I mean, it's not like a wind turbine. I understand people have some objections to wind turbines. I understand objections to nuclear power, but what are the objections to a large-scale solar farm? Mm, they're taking up farm ground, you know, good crop production ground for energy. Can't um, you uh, generation? Can, can't you uh, can't you graze sheep in between those solar panels? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what we're doing at our Grinnell project. Is we're going to be putting sheep right uh, out to pasture, so it's still going to stay in crop production, right? So, just, or or in agriculture, it's just not going to raise corn and beans. So I, I'd love I'd love to get a dissent, I'd love to get a dissenting voice on this in this conversation, but um, it's hard to imagine what that dissent would be. Uh, is is my guess is the opposition is primarily coming from the large utility companies in Iowa. We in Iowa we have two that don't want the competition. Am I oversimplifying it, or is that possibly what's going on here? I'll have to do a deeper dive. I would imagine the utilities are participating in large scale. Uh, solar projects as well. So hmm. I'm I'm leaning toward, and of course I haven't seen who's uh, voted in or uh, what lobbyists have have uh, indicated there on the on the on this discussion. But I, right. I would imagine it's the large landowners, the large tenant farmers that will, you know, they'll sign up a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand acres for farming that they don't own. And so now they're losing control of that farm ground to solar. 
So, but there, but there's um, just, there's just one facility. There's, there's, we're talking about one solar array in right. eastern Iowa. There's, there's not another proposal anywhere in the state as of now, right? Um, yeah, right now, uh, the one that I know of is the one that's that's there um, in in Palo. Right. There are other ones I know. I know Mid Americans working on some big ones. Alliance working on big ones. So, so it's just a matter so, of okay. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe the utility companies are. I mean, I know the utility companies in the past have been opposed to solar energy. I remember back when I was a lawmaker in ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, even the Mid American again, the biggest utility in Iowa was opposed to wind until they were allowed through a change in law to be able to build wind turbines. So have we seen the same kind of transition within solar where they're no longer opposed because they're able to get a piece of this action? Uh, the economics are there now for them to get in on the solar. It also uh, curbs a lot of their peak load, so it matches load a lot better than uh, the wind does. So it's the technology that they've embraced a lot more quickly. So, so again, maybe maybe I was wrong by suggesting that it was the utilities that are opposed. It sounds like it's primarily uh, some big landowners. I mean, it's and that's yeah. And, and again, I should have taken the time to look hmm. and uh, as to who's been uh, signing onto the bill. Okay. And, yeah. But so, uh, yeah. and are there uh, what? I, I, and you may just you may not know what's going on in other states, uh, Rob. I know you're well connected but focused on iowa but are you aware of any similar efforts underway in other states across the country not to this extent mm -hmm. i mean this is this is pretty this is pushing the limits on, right. on what we can do yeah for what they're asking for it's not even reasonable good to talk with you rob thank you All right. rob hawk the ceo of trusted energy when I walked across the country in 2014, uh, we came, well, we saw huge wind farms, wind farms in, uh, in the desert of California. We also saw on the very edge of the Mojave Desert some pretty sizable solar farms as well. And I was um, surprised. There was some opposition to that. One, one landowner said he was concerned about the destruction of habitat for turtles. It seems like those objections are there, but but not too widely accepted. I mean, my, my, my impression is that as challenging as it is to proceed with wind energy, solar is a bit easier. Some of the objections to solar, uh, some of the broad-minded objections involve uh, sourcing of minerals, lithium. Where do those come from? What kind of working conditions? What kind of environmental degradation occurs when those minerals are harvested? What happens when the panels are no longer usable? Those kind of questions, you know, are, are important conversation pieces. Yeah, uh, again, I, I think those questions are very legitimate. What happens in the in the mining and processing of lithium? I, I mean, I've seen stories of you know great concern about what happens to the workers, what happens to the environment. I guess my biggest concern about renewable energy systems is, at what point do we agree that that small scale is better than big scale? And I know what we're talking about here to make up for the for the loss of the nuclear power plant at Palo, Iowa. 
that we were, were talking about, replacing that with a sizable solar investment. Again, anytime there's no such thing as a small nuclear uh, <laughs> nuclear um, uh, energy center. You know, you, those are always going to be big. In the in most cases, uh, hydroelectric power are those are going to be big operations. But with solar and, to a lesser extent, wind, you can have a very broad disbursement of people producing that energy. And again, look at all the people putting solar panels on the south sides of their homes. Look at the farms that are using solar on their buildings. There are small communities putting up solar arrays. My, my concern, again, with anything is, is the centralization and the, the expansion of any particular industry to where it becomes under the control of a one or a handful of special interests. That's my biggest concern. And I think that's not, that's not out of line with, with the concerns that a lot of people have about this. Okay, so folks, um, this is Ed Fallon again. We've got to take a short break, and then we will be right back with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. If you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, join us by texting your name to 515 519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. If you've got something to say, and we'll call you right back and bring you into the conversation. So, you know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here at the Fallon Forum is more important than ever. Please support what we do. You can go to the Fallon Forum website. You can donate. Uh, you can spread the word. You can, become, uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter. And you can also become a monthly sponsor, and if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor as well. And speaking of our, of our local business sponsors, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Anywhere you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. I would like to at this time welcome to the program Karen Cubby. She's a small business owner, co-owner of Beadology in Iowa City. Uh, Karen, welcome to the program. 
while. It has been a while. Good to hear from you. And uh, I understand from uh, an article I read recently that um, you've been a small business owner for, what, a couple decades now? Well, technically since 1980, but having a brick-and-mortar store uh, for 15 years. So a couple decades doubled. Wow. Okay, that's impressive. And you recently uh, had some challenges that perhaps weren't expected, but I think from what I've been learning are are unfortunately a common challenge for for uh, small businesses. Um, a place becomes lucrative and the rents go up. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I've been very involved in the last 15 years is um, helping uh, formulate and guide and be an active member of the Iowa City Downtown District, which is uh, an improvement district. And there are improvement districts all, some of them are formal, like the one in Iowa City that actually has uh, people who had to sign a petition and ask the city council to tax them more, and the money would go towards the activities of the improvement district. Right. So there are quite a few of those uh, self-supporting municipal improvement districts, or SMIDs, throughout right. the state of Iowa. We live in one. a lot yeah. of informal yeah. improvement districts as well. Right. And one of the challenges is whether it's a small Main Street community or a larger community like Iowa City or Des Moines, is that you put this energy into making the the area safer, cleaner, more diverse in what is offered there and successful, you end up with some gentrification and you end up pushing some of the people who made it a better place out of the area that they helped improve. And we've seen that happen here in Des Moines. I imagine it's happened all over the country. And um, how? what exactly happened to you then? Well, I had a landlord who um, was pretty hands-off and uh, had told me he would never sell the property. And he had a little bit below market rate uh, rent because the space was so large. It was 4,000 square feet, which mm. for a small store, for us, it worked great. We right. sublet some of the space. We had a huge classroom and a workshop uh, so that people could learn to do metalworking and glassworking, and then they could come and work on their own, and we could create access to those tools to the community. And so that space worked for us. And our long, our 15-year lease was up at the end of 2020, and I wasn't sure if we were going to survive COVID or not. And so I thought I was doing a savvy thing by negotiating a one-term, a one-year lease to extend the lease for one more year, and then we would decide if we were going to survive and negotiate another long-term lease. Mm-hmm. Well, in that one year, my landlord was approached by a local speculative buyer who paid him a million dollars over the assessed value of the property, wow. which was really difficult for him to say no to. Uh, sure. I had yeah. $5, five days to come up with $2 million for the property, which is not possible no, for me. No. And in my 60s, not interested in going into decades of debt for a property in downtown. Mm. And so the new property owner wanted three times the rent and twice the property tax from us. And that was just not tenable with the finances of a local bead store. So we had to look for a new place. And I was not able to find an appropriate space for us in the downtown district that 
that we have been part of integrally for 15 years. So we're just outside of the downtown district. So we moved to 355 South Clinton Street, um, and we we were lucky. We landed on our feet. Um, we have a lot of community support that hordes of volunteers helped us pack and move and unpack and then supported us once we were moved in. So um, that's not true for every yeah. business that has that kind of support. And um, so this it wouldn't maybe be the same outcome for other people who this is going to happen to. And I can I can just foresee four different scenarios of what can happen in our area if if this particular person or other people repeat this behavior of speculative purchasing of property. So were there other businesses in the district that folded because they were unable to uh, accomplish the, the, the change to a somewhere affordable? Well, at this particular period, it's really hard to know if people just couldn't survive COVID and or rent increases. But mm. this particular property owner has bought up other spaces downtown. They are all empty. Oh, so the, the, the person who bought out your landlord bought up other properties and now they're sitting empty. Yes. Wow. Is so it, I'm, I'm curious. Is the, it, was the that four uh, things I can see happening is one, they remain vacant and he might not care if they remain vacant, especially those properties that are commercial on right. the ground floor, but are apartments above. Maybe right. the apartments pay his bank note. No, no, so he'll no. just hold out for higher rent downstairs and he doesn't really care, but it's not good for the district. It's right. not good Clearly. for the flow of energy on the street. Yeah. You know? So, but now is uh, is this an out of state investor? No, this is a local person. Local person, born and raised here. Yeah, doesn't seem to care. Okay. Uh, now, what could the uh, city council do to prevent this thing from happening? Because again, this happens at a lot of places, and there should this be there should a be a way to prevent it. Four hundred thousand dollar question. Usually, when I see an issue like this and I'm kind of complaining about it, I'm always trying to have a couple of ideas on what to do. This is one that has stymied people all over the country. In larger communities like San Francisco, they've started um, having a vacancy tax. So if your property is, your commercial property is vacant over a certain period of time, because sometimes it might be vacant for some really legitimate reasons. For example, you're looking for a BIPOC business to be in your spot, or you're looking for a certain, you don't want a restaurant or food or a tobacco or alcohol-oriented business. So there's some good reasons why some place might be vacant for a little while. So it's not cut and dry. But a vacancy tax might say, you're going to pay more in taxes on that property right. because you're denigrating the common good by keeping it vacant more than a year or 18 months or something. Now, one problem I've noticed is that when when, a, uh, when when the rents go up too high and the local business either is forced to close or move, that what moves into their space is a chain, some, some chain from somewhere else. Uh, and, Absolutely. And, and there's no reason why a city couldn't say, okay, the, the, you know, only locally owned businesses. There's ways of structuring that legally, but you could say, yeah, this 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 is a district where only locally owned businesses are going to be allowed. 
You could also tie any kind of public assistance, whether it's in the form of tax rebates, outright tax um, gifting, um, PIF monies. You could structure those agreements to say uh, rent can't go up by more than this amount over the next 20 years and or it should be a local independent business. And uh, what, have, have those things been suggested to the Iowa City City Council? Not not in that form, no. I'm really wanting to do some comprehensive research to say what what is the what are the menu of options. Uh, rent control is not a possibility in the state of Iowa currently, is my understanding. Mm. Um, and so that's something that uh, would be on my list, um, but can't happen because of right. preemption of state law. Right. Um, I have some meetings with um, some people from different communities around the country and with the Iowa, there's an Iowa downtown um, improvement district organizations, and I'm meeting with their staff later in the month to really brainstorm what mm -hmm. are some public policy yeah. pieces, uh, what are some community activist pieces that we could come up with as well. That's a really good question, too. I mean, you certainly found one, I think, by having a tremendous number of volunteers help you out. For sure. And one of the things we could do is if someone else had to move, like our particular store is incredibly difficult to move because on um, we might we have like 40 fixtures. And on one of them, we might have 300 glass. Um, shot glasses and champagne glasses full of beads. Yeah. How do you move yeah. that kind of store safely without a lot of yeah, damage really. and loss? I, and I'm curious. Have and you... we, figure, we figured out how to do it. Okay, and yeah. our volunteers were stellar and maybe right. our volunteer crew would help another organization and it would seem like a piece of cake after they helped us. Right. You didn't break a single jar? No. Wow. I'm curious. Didn't how many... have much loss or damage. We actually did some experimentation <laughs> on how to package things. So our, and then we made sure we had all the materials our volunteers need. You know, I'm an organizer. We organized it <laughs> right. like a, a planful yeah. rally or yeah. mailing party or something. <laughs> now, I'm curious. How many beads do you have at Beadology? Well, I have to say I don't know how many individual beads, but I have 250,000 different products. Wow. Okay. Millions of beads. That's yes. Okay, so yes, at least, and I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm guessing that maybe some or most of the audience isn't aware of your history or ours. But when I first ran for the legislature in 1992, um, Karen Cubby, my guest here, was on the Iowa City City Council, and you were one of two people that inspired me to run. Two two political figures that inspired me to run. I still remember a cartoon that you posted on one of your newsletters. Uh, it showed you uh, opening the door to City Hall to average people who were running in <laughs> to, to make their voices heard. And yeah, I, that, that was a cartoon that we had uh, developed for the campaign. It was on some Vote Cubby t-shirts. Right. And that inspired Actually, me. someone just came into the shop wearing one of those t-shirts. Oh, today. really? It's so funny that you mentioned that. Wow. I can't imagine there. I mean, if I had one, it would have been a rag a long time ago. It's a little yellow <laughs> because they were saying, what year was this t-shirt from? And I think it was my last re-election campaign, which was 1995. Right. So with our, uh, both of our, we both have a fairly extensive history in Iowa politics. Uh, let me just ask you a broader picture, and this relates to our conversation, of course, because at some, at some point, ordinance, city ordinances um, need to change, state laws need to change. 
What is your take on the current political environment in our state and in our country? A question you weren't prepared for me to ask, but if it's okay, I'll throw it out there. <laughs> well, in some ways, I'm just dumbfounded by how cruel and hurtful and authoritarian our state leaders are, those in the majority. Um, and we really, I, my, my partner just made this hilarious, I need to email this, this, um, what the Iowa GOP has lost, and they have abandoned empathy, critical thought, morality, the golden rule, the water, the earth. And he has designed an Iowa GOP office of propaganda, which is, <laughs> in, in shorthand, is called I Go Poop. And he's offering a large reward to anyone who can devise a mechanism to ensure that these reprehensible authoritarian tools are neutered. Please call Governor Reynolds and say, hey, I found your cat. He's got a picture of this maniacal cat. So I'll make sure that I email this poster to you because it's hilarious. But it really sums up. And one of the things he said to me that just really sums it up is, he said, Karen, all I have is art and ridicule. <laughs> well, and ridicule can be a form of art. What spending their time doing <laughs> yeah. are things that are just so hurtful, and they are not what we should be working on. I want the Iowa legislature to be working on infrastructure issues. The roads and the bridges in our cities and in our counties, whether they're rural counties or urban populated counties, need some assistance. Mm -hmm. And when you have when you're going to create huge tax cuts for the wealthy, there's not going to be money in two years to do the kind of maintenance mm. that we need throughout the state, whether it's whether your sector is agriculture or education or manufacturing or art. We all need these public infrastructure, whether it's for roads, bridges, sewer systems, water systems to keep us healthy and moving. And we're neglecting those things. Those are the things I want them to be looking yeah. at. I don't want them denigrating voting laws. Right. Yeah. I don't Boy. want them messing with trans girls. <laughs> uh, it's, those are yeah. not issues that they should be legislating about well and i and i agree of course i'd like to see the legislature address the issue of private property rights when it comes to out-of-state pipelines being proposed or even in-state pipelines in this case the carbon carbon dioxide pipelines it seems like a no-brainer that a private company you know if, if you want to have it put to your land that's one thing but if they get the right to come in and condemn your property to put that pipeline yeah, through? Yeah, ab absolutely. That and should be a, that should be a bipartisan thing. to control how much you sell your land for is none of their business. And these should be the property rights people, yeah. the Republicans. They used to be the party of, you know, whatever you want to do on your land, you should be able to do. And that should include selling it for conservation at any price right. you choose. Well, I did hear a positive story on, on public radio today about a, uh, a bipartisan effort that it was very satisfying to me to hear about this because this was something that I worked on 20 years ago, and that is uh, making it uh, easier and legal to be a midwife in Iowa. Uh, we've had midwives arrested. Uh, it's crazy. We've had the, the hospitals, the big hospitals, as I call it, the, uh, the, the medical industrial complex, has long opposed... Uh, private uh, midwifery services. And we now we see a, a bipartisan effort 
two of your local people, uh, Bobby Kaufman and Mary Masher, who have been among those pushing for this change. And it, I, my understanding is it passed the Iowa House overwhelmingly with only two dissenting votes. Well, good. So, it's too bad it took 30 years well, to I know, that I know, it's, I know. But I'm glad it happened. That's awesome. I remember when I first introduced the legislation years ago, it was like, nope, hospitals aren't going to like that. And, of course, the yeah. reason was they don't like competition. They saw it as competition. The same reason they oppose chiropractory and a whole bunch of other, other things. They don't like competition. So, anyway. Karen, you're doing great work. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. If uh, folks want to um, learn more about what you do, um, tell us so where they go to find out about that. Well, they can go to beatologyiowa.com and look at our website and see classes that we provide and products that we sell. You can always come and visit us in person and talk beads or politics. We like doing both of those things, and we're at 355 South Clinton Street on the corner of Clinton and Court Street near downtown Iowa City. The politics of beads. How's that? Uh, there's quite a bit of that, yeah. Apparently, I'd like yeah. To talk to you about well, that. and certainly a lot, a lot. Of, there's a lot to do with the politics of small businesses, and I just, um, I'm always, always, always amazed at ways in which government uh, get in the way of have somebody wanting to just go ahead and do what they need to do, and sometimes it requires laws, like you said, like rent controls, like, uh, like um, vacant property ordinances, but. Sometimes it's just a matter of government saying, okay, we're just not going to get in the way. <laughs> so the right so combination. The latest one that I hope does not pass the legislator is uh, House Study Bill 647 that says that I can't mandate masks within my business or incentivize my employees to get vaccinated, specifically for COVID. And it's like, I don't want them in my uterus. I don't want them in my bedroom. <laughs> I do not want them in my business. Well, yeah, I'd say if you're, if you're, I mean, I'm, you know, you know, we have businesses that put up signs, no shoes, no shirt, no service. So, I mean, if a business wants to put up a sign, no mask, no service, that should be their business. You know, you may find a lot of people not want to go in there because of that, but that should be your call. That's right. And we can we can provide services to them other ways. There might be lots of reasons why people can't or won't wear a mask. And it's not for me to judge that. So we can, they can come in and join us in a class via Zoom. They can shop via video conference or telephone or pictures and email. So we can still interact with those folks. I just don't want them coming in because if one of our three employees, including myself, contracts COVID, we're closed for 10 days. Yeah. Then we come back and someone is test positive again or a different person, that's another 10 days. Yeah. I cannot afford to do that. Karen, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great time. Folks, we've been talking with Karen Cubby. She's the co-owner of Beatology in Iowa City. When we um, come back from a short break, we've got more conversation with you here, folks. Uh, We're going to be talking about remaking St. Patrick's Day. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. 
At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. If you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, you can join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323. That number again, 515-519-6323. Don't call, text, and then we will call you back on a different line and bring you into the conversation. Of course, as you know, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. You can check out the Fallon Forum website for details about that. Thanks to uh, Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so St. Patrick's Day is upon us, folks, or as I prefer to call it, St. Patrick's Week. Now, my big, my problem with St. Patrick's Day is that it has become, well, it's become the, it's become what Purim is for the Jewish community. That's, that's for the rest of us, that's our Purim. That's when it seems like it's almost required to go out and get drunk. And, you know, okay, if you want, if you want a holiday where, you're encouraged to just cut loose and forget about your problems and drink too much of something or other. I get that. That's Maybe that's cathartic. Maybe that's helpful. It's not my thing. Never done it. Never will. But I understand, you know, the Bacchanalian instinct for <laughs> that kind of purging. Uh, do it. But why, you know, why does it have to be what St. Patrick's Day, the Irish holiday, you know, my people's holiday, why is that what we have to be associated with? And sure, there's, you know, Ireland, Ireland, like every oppressed community in the, in the history of the world, uh, has had an issue with alcohol. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when you're looking at 800 years of British rule, you know, that, I can't even tell you how badly that sucks. That is, um, <laughs> and I, again, I don't know how many in the audience have, have, have paid much attention to Irish history. Sure, people know about the famine. Again, if you... Um, if you read the wrong historical accounts, you'll think, oh, the famine, that was caused by a blight. Uh, nothing could be done about that. The blight came, it infected the potato crop, the Irish died. How sad for them. You're reading the wrong history books, if that's your take. The right history books, and the best history book, by the way, would be the Famine Museum in Strokestown, in my home county, Roscommon, Roscommon County, Ireland. If you're ever there, go to the... Uh, the Famine Museum in Strokestown. It is worth it's, it's worth the trip. But the the right history of the famine is that again the under the penal laws, you know, you weren't even allowed to speak Gaelic. Uh, 
I've got a great song I'll sing someday, not on the air, uh, <laughs> about about a about a, a Jewish guy who gets thrown in jail for having his name in Hebrew above his shop, and the British police officer assuming it was Gaelic. Um, the, the, it does not end well for the uh, British police officer because apparently the judge to, to, who came to hear the trial is also Jewish. Uh, so, but the Irish were forbidden from speaking their own language. They were forbidden from owning land. My great grandfather bought land when he, when it was first possible to do so in the eighteen um, eighteen eighty late eighteen eighties eighteen ninety or so. You couldn't even own land, and, and so you know you had you had very little places to eke out an existence on. And you eked out the best existence possible by growing the food product that was most easily converted into calories. And that was potatoes. Uh, you grew potatoes. And um, when, you know, and, and actually, you know, the next, the final, the final segment of this program today, we're going to be talking about crop rotation. And so this is a very instructive moment because if you don't rotate your crops, you've got problems. Every Iowa farmer, you know, is going to grow corn and soybeans. And actually, in the good old days, Iowa farmers would rotate corn, soybeans, oats, alfalfa. Yeah, multiple crops rotating is better than two. One is always a bad idea. And so it wasn't that a blight came and infected the Irish potato crop. It was the Irish weren't allowed to own land. They had very little land where they could even, as tenants, work to, to sustain themselves. They were basically forced to uh, grow one crop, and actually, when that crop started to fail, in the first few years of the potato blight, the British were willing to provide food aid and other assistance to keep the Irish alive. And at some point, the decision was made, you know, let's just kind of let the free market work on this one. We'll just kind of step back and see what happens. And we know what happened. Half the country died of starvation or was forced to emigrate. And... Uh, you know, it was a political decision. It was an economic motivation. And again, while the Irish were dying on the sides of the roads in Roscommon County and plenty of other places, most other parts of Ireland, the British were exporting record crops of grain, cattle, you know, other things from the better farmland in Ireland. So let's be straight on that. You know, so one thing we could celebrate on St. Patrick's Day is the tenacity of a people who Despite an attempted genocide, again, called the potato famine, despite that attempted genocide, despite 800 years of colonization, despite basically being denied their, even, their, their, their basic existence, despite that, they came back. And 100 years ago this year, Ireland achieved independence. Well, all but six counties. That's coming. That will change. And again, I, I hope it changes not through violence. I've, I've been an, an opponent of the violence that has happened in Northern Ireland, and I've been touched by that. I'll share those stories with you some other time. But the um, through diplomacy, peaceful negotiation, it will. it's just a matter of time before those six counties are reunited with the rest of Ireland. Uh, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen often in, uh, in, 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 on planet Earth where your geographical boundaries are so clearly defined that you really know what your country's borders should look like. But in the case of Ireland, uh, yeah, it's it's there. You've got the Irish Sea, you've got the North Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Boom. Uh, the the logic behind the boundary that separates Northern Ireland from the other uh, from the Republic 
is is only the logic of convenience because that was where some of the best farmland was. That's where the British moved the uh, Scots after they were displaced from their land. So you know, let's celebrate, you know, resilience. Let's celebrate the ability to come out of eight hundred years of persecution. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate the incredible. Uh, despite all that, that's despite the oppression. Let's celebrate the incredibly rich tradition of, of, of literature, poetry, um, prose. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the books to come out of Ireland, phenomenal. I mean, a small country to produce that many great writers, that says a lot. Um, and for a small country to produce a, a, a wealth of music that is still so broadly celebrated. And like, I mean, here in Des Moines. Des Moines, a like like much of America, a melting pot of so many different cultures. You can hear Irish music every week, usually every Tuesday night. Sometimes more often. This week you can hear it even more often. Of course, uh, everybody's playing Irish music this week, <laughs> and that's great. Um, I think the more people playing Irish music, yeah, that's good. But the um, you know, why not focus on that? There, there's a pub here in Des Moines. Coonies, and Coonies is one of the places that features Irish music on a regular basis. But if you are male, uh, go to the men's room. <laughs> and as you are attending to your business, this is the business you would attend to uh, in the in the uh, standing position, uh, you will notice a, um, <laughs> a, uh, a, a large poster on the wall uh, showcasing Irish writers. And, and, you know, again, this is one small country, and this is one poster with these... And you will recognize, probably, you'll probably recognize nearly every one of those names. Yeah. Well, why not celebrate that? Let's let's remake St. Patrick's Day to be something about about freedom, about 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 resilience, about uh, you know, sure, about about writing, about music. And yeah, you can celebrate with a drink or two. Um, but I would really like to reclaim the holiday of St. Patrick's Day to make it something about. Um, yeah, about something other than getting drunk, uh, and we could, you know, we could even celebrate St. Patrick. Okay, so St. Patrick, interesting character. I'm not going to talk too much about him, but um, wasn't Irish, but uh, had this um, passion for converting people to Christianity, and was very charismatic and uh, was very successful. And you know, in, in, in retrospect, it was kind of as you read Irish history, it's kind of surprising that he did so well. But part of the reason that the conversion of Ireland to Catholicism went well was because there was some integration. Um, and, I, you know, I, again, that was, that was uh, what, over a thousand years ago? And I still see some of the, um, some of the remnants of the pagan and Druid tradition in Ireland in modern Catholicism. I'll give you a couple examples from my own experience. Um, every, whenever you leave a home, and I can't say this for all of Ireland, but in my area of Ireland, Roscommon County, when you leave a home, and this may have changed, but in the old days, meaning 20, 30 years ago, <laughs> if you left a home, there was always a little font of holy water at the door. And you were if you were going on a trip, if, we, if you were just going out to check the cows or, or do some farm work, not a big deal. But if you were going to get in a car, get on a bike, get in your cart, go somewhere, you were expected to dip your fingers in that, your right hand in that water, and bless yourself. And uh, I remember thinking when I was in my 20s, oh, that is so silly. And uh, I was going up, 
I wasn't going on a trip, actually. I was going up on my cousin Kathleen's roof. Uh, there was some repair work to do up there, and I offered to help her out. So I was going up on her roof, and she said, she told me to be sure to bless myself with holy water before I went up there. I said, I'm not going to do that. And she, she dips her fingers, like all of them, I think, <laughs> in the holy water and just poof, plunks it right in my face. <laughs> Interestingly, I, I, I almost fell off the roof. <laughs> so maybe what she did with that holy water saved my sorry butt. I don't know. But the, um, you know, that, that's a very superstitious thing. <laughs> uh, and it, it really, it, it, you know, I, I don't, you know, you know, I don't know if you see that in, in Catholic traditions elsewhere in the world, but it, it seemed uniquely Irish. And I remember one um, another another time I remember uh, arriving in Ireland one summer on the summer solstice. And as we're driving from the airport to uh, the farm, uh, fires everywhere, fires, bonfires everywhere. And I remember um, I remember saying I, I remember saying to one of my cousins, I, so yeah, uh, yeah. What, what's going on? Oh, it's bonfire night. Oh, okay. So it's the solstice. It's bonfire night. This is kind of a, you know, a, a pagan tradition where you know you you you, you keep the light going. And they said, oh, no, not at all. It's 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 bonfire night. They they, they saw no connection to the previous tradition, uh, that would have been common, in a more uh you know in a more in a more pagan faith, um. But there was also, and there were ways of weaving the bonfire night tradition into the current Catholic persuasion. So, you know, I, there, there are so many beautiful things to celebrate about the country. Again, uh, you know, it's, it's a country that's seen tremendous uh, devastation. I, I want to say this, too. Um, I, I appreciate, I, I really value the growing awareness of the extent to which minority communities in the U.S. have been beaten down. And the latest, of course, is that um, the census, the uh, 2020 census, undercounted black and brown communities by about 19 million people. That is huge. That is unforgivable. Uh, that is a systemic problem. And again, it's probably, I, I don't know enough about it to say this, but it, there, there may be some intention behind it, but it may also be the design of the census. And it's probably not just 2020. I think if we look deeper, it's probably 2010 and, and every decade previously. Um, but uh, it wasn't that long ago that the Irish were uh, in that class of people, minority, uh, uh, foreigners, unwelcome. I mean, my, my grandparents came, again, 100 years ago, well, maybe, maybe 99 years ago. They came right after independence, 1923, 20, 1923, 24. And they were greeted with signs saying, if Irish need not apply, or Irish need not apply. Um, and if you look at the, uh, the cartoons that were put out in the early 1900s and the late 1800s, if you look at the caricatures of Irish people, you will see some of the same qualities that found their way into caricatures of African Americans. Uh, they, 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 look, they look ape-like. Um, they look stupid, uh, you know. They they, they, they dress badly, um, you know. If you, just 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 Google, go ahead, search for uh, race racist character characterizations of, of Irish in cartoons, something like that. Uh, I'll try to post a few because you know they're appalling. They make your jaw drop. This wasn't that long ago that that's how the Irish were considered. So you know, again, racism. And uh, 
hatred anywhere is a threat to justice and democracy everywhere. And uh, it's happening. It, it still happens. It doesn't happen against the Irish anymore, but it wasn't that long ago that it was a problem. And uh, I'll say one more thing about that. My grandfather was here for 10 years before he got his certificate of, of uh, citizenship. I have a copy of that on my wall, both because I'm proud of him for it and uh, indebted to him, but also because I think it's really cool. Two things are really cool about that. One, his race, not white, Irish. That was his race, Irish, according to the person processing his census, his, uh, his citizenship paper. The other thing is just kind of funny. Uh, for some reason, that person also mixed up eye and hair color. His um, hair color is brown. No, his hair color is, his eye color is brown. His hair color is blue. <laughs> Go figure. Anyway, folks, um, happy St. Patrick's Day. Get it right this year. This is Ed Fallon, your host. And when we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm is going to join me. We're going to talk about, um, about, crop rotation in our farm and food segment. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit doing good work in the world, you can become a sponsor of this program as well. Uh, thanks to Groovy Goods, that's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. So I just got done talking about St. Patrick's Day, about Ireland, about how the lack of crop rotation was part of why the potato famine occurred. And again, that was, that was by political design, the lack of ability to rotate crops. Here to talk about how you can avoid 
uh, starvation by crop rotation. <laughs> okay, maybe that's an overstatement, but here to you talk can. about crop rotation in your home garden is Kathy Birds of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Hello, Kathy. Hello, and well, if it came down to it, someone may need to know how to rotate crops to avoid starvation. So it's true. It's, <laughs> well, it's not happening to as many people these days. Right here and right well, now. Well, yeah, here, yeah. Uh, Gosh, it is elsewhere. So many other places in the world are really struggling for one reason or another. But yeah, rotating crops, uh, what does that mean? Well, as you know, Ed, it means that you don't plant the same thing in the same place year after year. You need to swap it up a little bit so that you give the soil a little break from one kind of crop and... Uh, the benefits of another kind of crop, and and then you'll get better crops year after year. And some crops are more demanding in terms of, uh, you know, taking away the nutrients of the soil than others, eh? Yes. Um, there are a <clears throat> lot of good reasons that you should rotate crops. Some plants are demanding. Some plants leave uh, diseases and pests in the soil, and, uh, and changing that around the crops from... Uh, from place to place helps avoid that. So, so yeah, one thing I know about is the the tomato bean tomato legume rotation. That's a common one, right? Yes, yes, and I, I want to use that as an example. And um, uh, for instance, reducing diseases and pests. Tomatoes are prone to blight, yeah. and the blight lives in the soil. It gets up on the leaves from the soil a lot of times, and um, it also it can get. Um, those tomato worms and things on it. So you want to make sure that you clean out your tomato beds at the end of the year, that you dispose of the refuse that you've cleaned up. Uh, even a lot of compost bins can't get high enough temperatures to kill that blight. Yeah, you want to get up to close to 150, 160 even to kill blight and other problems. Yeah, so, yeah. Says he, the compost king of Sherman Hill. That's me. Well, and <laughs> and the legume, like a bean, is not as susceptible to that particular blight, and it also, um, you know, helps to restore the soil. So the other reason to uh, rotate crops is to restore nutrients to the soil, the tomatoes, and some other types of plants, such as um, corn, peppers, etc., pull a lot of nutrients from the soil, especially nitrogen. But tomatoes and, and green beans or even dried beans is a good rotation. Yes, because the, the mm. beans, legumes have a, a bacteria on the root nodules that can actually pull nitrogen from the atmosphere down into the root system and and carry it out into the soil, leaving more nitrogen for the yeah. next year. So what, what happens if you leave your beans growing in the same place too many years in a row? I suppose it can have too much nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably start attracting pests as well. The pests yeah. too, right. So um, th that's just the, the example, and there are so many ways to rotate different crops. Um, we, we can't go into it all, but you can uh, connect with a couple of different good resources about it. I got some of the information, and, you know, besides from people who know, got some information from the University of Minnesota Extension. Also, we look to seedsaver.org. Uh, that's up in Decorah, Iowa. We look to them for a lot of good information about, you know, what to do with your crops. So what about, you know, so your average home gardener has just a few beds and you want tomatoes every year. What do you do? Therein lies the challenge. We have a... <laughs> 
relatively small space compared to what I was used to when I lived in the country, um, but we don't have a small number of beds. We use all of the space. Um, there are some folks, my daughter, for example, she's got about four beds in their yard. They just started last year. They had some good luck, uh, but they are thinking about how to rotate their crops now. So they had tomatoes in one bed. They had some peppers in another, an eggplant. They, they had some herbs in one. The herbs are kind of stay where they are because you don't really pick up and move your herbs every year. Or they, your they rhubarb well. or, or your raspberries. Right, right. You know. Some are permanent. So she is looking at using pots for her tomatoes this year. And there are good ways to do that. And then, you know, they do like beans. They like peas, putting those legumes in there. Mm. Um, so using raised beds in general is a good way to ensure that you have some good crop rotation potential. And um, using using pots that have been cleaned after each use are a good clean. way to do Clean? How do you it. clean them? Well, um, basically a little bleach solution. Mm. After you get all the dirt and grime off of it, a little rinse with a bleach solution, a mm. mild bleach solution, really gets rid of all the the pesky stuff. Wear rubber gloves. Yes, please. And don't throw that bleach solution back out onto your lawn if you have a lawn. And don't drink any. And don't, don't drink it. Don't I mean, inject I mean, it. I know some people advise that. Don't inject that. it. Some people advise drinking or injecting bleach for maybe not to deal with crop rotation, but to deal with, oh, I don't know, COVID or something. But let's not no, do that. No, no. Let's not do that. Well, another great aspect about gardening is that it builds community. And so if you've got a friend a neighbor who is planting potatoes, a lot of potatoes one year, and they don't want to plant potatoes or tomatoes in the same plots year after year. You could even swap crops with a neighbor and, uh, you know, kind of take advantage of the fact that you are neighbors and help each other with your spaces. Uh, We have a couple of good friends in this neighborhood, Ed, who let us use a couple of spots in their yards, and we get a lot of good crop rotation from that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, last year we did, we pretty much did potatoes at our six neighbors' uh, gardens. Mm-hmm. And so this year we won't be doing potatoes. Or tomatoes. Or tomatoes, because we did those the year before. Right. This year Night it's shakes. going to be, what's it going to be this year? Uh, I forgot. Beans. I to, beans. Right? Oh, yes. Beans? All beans, of course. All Just... beans, but dried beans. We're going to try dried beans. You can only have so many. I mean, we one four by eight bed of uh, green beans. Dang, that's pretty much all you need if it does well. Mm -hmm. But dried beans, those can go a long way. It's going to be a little labor-intensive for us to shell all those beans. So that's what fall and winter Uh, is for. I have a system. I have a system. I I was staying staying at a monastery in Dubuque once. And uh, somehow I I already knew this. I'd experimented with it. And I said, what can I do for work? And they said, I I like to farm. So they took me out to to a shed there, and they gave me a big bag of beans. (laughs) <laughs> and they said, just sit down sounds here. Like a, sounds like a fairy tale. Sit down here and just shell these beans. And I said, I have another idea. Do you have a fan? And so they had a fan. They looked at me a little bit funny. But I got this fan. I turned it on. And I, 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 I first of all, I, I smacked the beans with a, with a rake or a broom or something. And then I okay. poured them in front of the fan. Woo! And all the chaff blew away. And they were That's kind of. That's very biblical. They were a little bit impressed. But they were also disappointed that I blew, a, a, a ta- blew through a task that should have taken hours and just a half hour or so. I think a lot of your best stories start in a monastery. <laughs> okay, well, and that one's going to end right there. Thank you for joining us today, Kathy. You betcha. All right, folks, uh, thanks to our callers and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon, and, of course, our guests, Rob Hawk, 
and Karen Cubby. Thanks to our local business partners as well, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a whole lot. Go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, folks, and we'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.